Hello, good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors of the church. Uh, it's great to be back. We've been away for a couple of weeks, so uh, we've had a nice break, but uh, nice to be back with you guys. Uh, one of the things I love about actually our church and, and Trinity churches and, and uh, being here on a Sunday is uh, all the different elements that we have in our service. Uh, so we do lots of different things, don't we? We, we stand and sing and we uh, sometimes we say psalms together or we pray together or we're led in prayer. Uh, there's all sorts of different things we do during our service. Uh, it's great because it feels like we're not just here for a show, but we're participating. We're all uh, worshipping God together, you know. So today we, we started our service with a great song, All Creatures of Our God and King. We, we said the Apostles' Creed together. We sang uh, two great kids' songs, uh, got our energy up. Uh, participated in lots of different ways, but I wonder, I wonder if you've ever felt this. You might not have. I remember feeling this a couple of times, but I wonder if you've ever come to church and you actually have felt, actually, I'm not really ready to stand up and praise God today. Uh, it might be that your week hasn't been so good. It might be that you're going through something really hard, and uh, maybe you've gone to church and there's just something so big going on in your life that you can't really even think about anything else. Maybe, you know, actually, I'm not in the mood to hear a psalm about God's goodness today. I'm not even really feeling like uh, God's even, even there for me at the moment. Maybe, uh, maybe that's how you even feel today. And when there's other stuff going on, it can be hard to participate sometimes, hard to engage, hard to come before God. You know, I might just sit towards the back today, kind of tune out a bit more, play on my phone, uh, stay a bit more distant. Or, or maybe you do, you know, you kind of go along with everything, but inside you're, you're a bit more distracted or you're just not really feeling it. Uh, well, in our Bible reading today, uh, this morning, we joined uh, Abraham. He's still called Abram in our passage today, but we're just going to call him Abraham because uh, he's the same person. Uh, Abraham, he comes before God, but Abraham is not feeling it. He's distracted. He's got stuff going on. Did you notice? Uh, let, me, let me just show you again, right from the start of our reading, uh, God comes to Abraham and God says these uh, great words. Uh, God says, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Uh, and you kind of think, oh, maybe Abraham's going to say, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But no, what does Abraham say? Uh, he says, uh, hang on, God. What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Just just hold up a second, God. Stop with these empty words about protecting me. You haven't even given me a child. Some random is going to take my inheritance. Abraham's standing before God, but he's just not in the mood for praise and positivity. He's not in the mood for singing hymns. There's one big thing going on in his life. And when something that big is going on, it's sometimes even hard to think about anything else, isn't it? God had promised Abraham a child. Where's the child? What's going on, God? I'm sure plenty of us have experienced times when things are hard, uh, when things aren't going the way that we thought they would. In times like this, you can start wondering, can I trust God? Can I trust you, God? Uh, a little bit later in the passage, God comes to Abraham a second time. Uh, and again, God's got magnificent words. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. Another promise that God had made, he'd promised Abraham children, he'd promised Abraham land. But again, Abraham's not feeling it. He doesn't reply, oh, thank you, God, that's wonderful. Abraham said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I really be sure? How can I know that I can trust you? Now, you get the feeling that Abraham is actually starting to lose patience, don't you? Getting frustrated, starting to doubt. 
Now, I, I don't know how you're feeling as you come to church today. I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of us who are feeling good, fine, uh, really confident in God at the moment. I, I, I'm sure there are some here who are uh, perhaps less sure what you think of God in the first place uh, anyway, but uh, which, is, which is great that you're here thinking things through. But I'm sure there are some of us uh, who will be feeling a little bit more like Abraham today. We do trust God, but we could use a little bit of reassurance. We might be doubting a bit, struggling to know what God's doing, struggling to know whether we can really trust him. Well, can I say there is, uh, today's passage really is an important passage for all of us, however we're feeling, because all of us want an answer to that question. Can I trust God? Can I trust God? Whether we're going through hard times at the moment or not, uh, you can be sure that uh, most of us will go through hard times at some point, won't we? Will we be able to trust God when there are big things going on? Well, the passage we're looking at today is an important passage because it shows us that God can be trusted. It's an important passage for when we're struggling to trust. It's an important passage all the time, really. It's also, by the way, an important passage in the context of the whole Bible story. This little chapter does really shape so much of uh, the whole Bible. So let's, uh, let's try and understand the passage together. And, and let me say, if you've got a Bible, uh, it'd be good to have the passage open in front of us as we uh, take a look at it. I've also got an outline for you this morning. Uh, we've got, uh, I've put the outline out up on the Sunday Hub, as it always is, so you can have a look on there as well, if you'd like to have it in front of you. But here, here it is. Uh, we've had an introduction. Uh, we're going to uh, take a few minutes just at the start to get our bearings, uh, just to remember where we're up to in the book of Genesis. I think that will be helpful. Uh, then I've got two big points for you. Abraham's doubts, number three, and God's commitment, number four. Uh, and if you're wondering, by the way, already what's going on with all the animals cut in half and uh, the blood and the flaming torch and the smoke and all that sort of stuff in the second half of the uh, chapter, we will get to that. That's all going to be there in, uh, in point four, God's commitment. Uh, it's all to do with God making this commitment to Abraham. So we will get to that. But uh, and we will also finish, by the way, point five uh, by trying to land things and talking about uh, what it means to come before the God of grace. So, uh, so that's our outline for today. Uh, first of all, number two, let's get our bearings for a little bit. Uh, we are in the book of Genesis, as we know. Uh, the first book in the Bible, we've had seven, we had seven weeks uh, in Genesis back in the middle of the year. Uh, and then last week, we got back into our Genesis series with Colin, who is here with you, uh, speaking for us uh, on part of Abraham's life. Uh, I'm going to be with you for the next six weeks. We're going to keep going through this great book of Genesis. Uh, so let me just give you at this point just a bit of a whirlwind tour of where we're up to in the book of Genesis. I think uh, that'll be helpful for all of us. So uh, I'm going to put something on the screen. Don't worry too much about all the detail, but uh, this is kind of an overview of the book of Genesis and where we're up to. Uh, we started, we did this in the middle of the year, uh, we started right back in Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter in the Bible, uh, with God creating the world, the creation story, and, and by the way, one of the things I think we've seen as we've gone through the book of Genesis is that uh, the book of Genesis, it's, it, tells us, it tells us a bunch of stuff that happened, but it's, it's also a little bit more than that, it tells us what happened, uh, but it also is interested in telling us, uh, us answering our big questions about the world, so it, it tells us the answers to big questions about life and about meaning. So uh, Genesis chapter 1, it's the creation story, but it also tells us a lot about who God is uh, and why he made the world. So it answers some of our big questions. Uh, and similar in Genesis chapter 2, we looked at the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, and, and really this story also tells us a lot about uh, who we are as humans and what it means to be a human. Uh, and it was this beautiful, perfect picture of a wonderful life working in God's garden. And, and things are going really well until... Of course, Genesis 3, the fall. And in Genesis 3, uh, we learn all about the reason for brokenness. Uh, the story tells us all about brokenness, sin. Uh, it tells us all about uh, what sin is at its very core. 
Uh, and it tells us about the consequences of sin as well. So for Adam and Eve, the consequences for sin uh, were leading the, leaving the garden and eventually death. So we get to the end of Genesis chapter 3 and we've seen that God's created a good world, but uh, now things are broken. And then the whole next section, uh, chapters 4 through 11, uh, we, we did three weeks in here. Uh, we did Cain and Abel, the story of the flood and the story of the Tower of Babel. I think all those stories come back to this very basic point uh, that the world is broken and we can't be the ones to fix it. I think that's the basic point of, of all those chapters. We, the world is broken. We can't be the ones to fix it. Only God can put things right. So Cain and Abel, you had uh, Cain who he thought that kind of he could be righteous with God on his own, uh, based on his own achievements. But he, Cain, he's really just a disaster. Like he, he kills his brother. He has this line of descendants coming after him uh, where things are just getting worse and worse and worse. It's, it's just like Adam and Eve's sin, only even more so. Uh, Abel, meanwhile, is actually, uh, he's murdered early on, but actually Abel, he knew that uh, he needed God. He knew that before God, he was nothing. And actually, even though he does die, he has a line of descendants coming after him that trust God. And the message is that actually, if we want things to be to be better, we need to trust God as well. Uh, the flood shows us a little bit about, about what, what, what God's plan is to make things right. Uh, he's going to bring about justice through judgment. Uh, and then the story of Babel is actually quite similar to the story of Cain and Abel. It's again about humans who are trying to uh, make themselves righteous and make a name for themselves under their own steam, under their own efforts. Uh, and the point of it all is, is uh, if things are going to be put right, it's God who's going to do it. It's, it's God who needs to make our names great, uh, which is when we get to Abraham uh, in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, in Genesis 4, 11 is telling us all about us needing to trust in God's plan to put things right. And then when we come to Abraham, finally we start to see that plan play out. So what is God's plan? Well, it's to take a man, Abraham, and he's going to take Abraham and he's going to make Abraham's name great. He's going to use Abraham. He's going to give Abraham blessing and land and descendants. Uh, And through Abraham's line, he's going to bring about his plan to put things right, to put the world right. So this is uh, this is big stuff when we come to the story of Abraham. And uh, again, don't, don't worry about too much of the detail. We're going to be spending a lot of time uh, looking at Abraham. This is actually what we're going to be doing the whole next six weeks. We're going to continue by uh, thinking about this character, Abraham. Uh, Abraham gets about 13 chapters of Genesis, so he gets, uh, he gets a lot of airtime. It's all this one big section. Uh, if, if you're interested in even the technical details, it's quite, quite clear that this is a new section of the book. Uh, in Genesis, the sections are marked... Uh, with this phrase that comes up again and again, it's, it's these are the generations of. Uh, so it kind of starts off with Jesus. These are the generations of Adam and Eve. These are the generations of Noah. Uh, and when we get to this uh, section with Abraham, it begins, these are the generations of Terah. So Terah is Abraham's dad. Uh, Happy Father's Day, Terah. So this whole section is about Terah's descendants, particularly about Abraham, right through uh, to Genesis chapter 25. So uh, big thing to know from all this, this section... It's about Abraham, but in many ways, it's not actually really about Abraham at all. In the context of Genesis, it's actually about God. It's about God's plan to put the world right. The world is broken, as we've seen in Genesis 1 through 11. We're not able to fix it. This is God's plan to put things right through this person, through this line of descendants that he's going to build. And so uh, as we're looking at the story of Abraham, we're meant to be sort of waiting with bated breath to see what God's going to do, see how God's going to fix the world, waiting for the children that Abraham's been promised, following this line of descendants, waiting to see what's going to happen to fix the problem of sin. And yet, when we get to chapter 15 that we're looking at today, 
We're already a few chapters into Abraham's story and we're waiting and waiting. And no wonder Abraham's getting worked up. We're meant to be seeing Abraham's descendants come along. And it's just not happening. And so as we think about our third point, Abraham's doubts, we can understand why Abraham's getting pretty stressed. There's so much riding on Abraham's descendants. This is the future of the whole world. And so far, no children have come along. And for context, Abraham is about 80 years old at this point, right? We're not quite so sure how old his wife Sarah is, but the chances of them having a child are looking pretty bleak and they're getting less and less. Uh, It's a little bit like my hopes of playing cricket for Australia. Um, You know, I'm 33 years old and I'm not that great at cricket. Like, I was a pretty good fielder, but uh, my hopes are already very low. And with every year that passes, the chances are just getting less and less and less. I think I actually might have accepted that it's not going to happen. It's it's not like, to put it another way, it's not like the chances of me becoming a millionaire, where you can sort of, you know, you can save money, you can sort of get there bit by bit there, bit there, and you're getting closer and closer and closer. Now, with every moment that passes, the chances of Abraham and Sarai having a child are looking even more unlikely. There's no child. God's whole plan to save the world looks like it's uh, over before it's even started. No wonder that when God appears to Abraham and says, you know, do not be afraid, Abraham, I'm your shield, your very great reward. No wonder that Abraham is a bit miffed, right? I mean, what good is it saying, God, you know, like, come along talking about, I am your great shield. I mean, it just feels like empty words right now. There is no child. There's no sign of a child. Abraham's been waiting literally for years and years. And so when God comes to speak to him, everything he's been feeling just comes pouring out. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who's going to inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. It's kind of a bold reply from Abraham, isn't it? I mean, God comes before him in a vision. Abraham, he's just, I think he's just over it. He's been waiting for so long. He just says, I'm just going to go for this. I'm going to say exactly what's on my heart. He talks back. He just says, God, I, what can you say to me, God? You almost wonder if this is the right way to talk to God, don't you? You know, you wonder if God might even say, hey, Abraham, you've got to show more respect to God, thank you very much. And God might just smite him or something. But actually, God's not like that. Actually, what Abraham does is good. Actually, God doesn't want us to come before, uh, before him and be fake or say words that we don't mean. God doesn't want us to stay at a distance when we're not feeling like we can trust him. Actually, what Abraham does is exactly right. Because God wants us to come to him, be honest with him, speak our minds to him. God welcomes questions, welcomes doubts. And so... When Abraham comes and he pours his heart out to God, God isn't angry, God isn't offended. In fact, what does God do? Verse 4, he speaks words of reassurance. He says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Most nights before uh, our daughter Lucy goes to bed, uh, she likes to go outside for a minute and say goodnight to the moon, uh, which is fair enough. Uh, sometimes you can see it, sometimes you can't. Uh, this week, just, uh, just the way the moon cycle works, uh, the moon wasn't out in the evening, so when we'd go out, outside and see if we could see the moon, uh, all we could see would be a couple of stars, uh, those first stars that come out in the evening. I think you see Venus first normally, don't you? And 
Uh, not that Venus is technically a star, but uh, a little bit later in the night when you're in a city like Adelaide, you can, you can see quite a few stars, can't you? Uh, probably several hundred stars, but uh, and already probably still too many to count. But it's pretty incredible, isn't it, when you go uh, out maybe camping somewhere out into the country, well away from the city. Uh, it's pretty incredible how many stars you can see, isn't it? When I go somewhere away from the city and see the stars uh, on a clear night, I'm still surprised every time by just how bright they are, how many there are. Amazing, isn't it? I imagine on a clear Middle Eastern night uh, 4,000 years ago, well, well before light pollution, uh, Abraham could see a lot of stars. Uh, you know, think of this next time you're out on, on holidays and you uh, look out of, out of the caravan or whatever and you look up uh, and you see the stars. God's promise to Abraham millions and millions of descendants. And God wasn't exaggerating, by the way, you know, uh, little by little, as we heard in the kids' talk, uh, Abraham had sons who had sons who had sons. Uh, right now, there are over 4 billion people on the earth who claim an allegiance to Abraham. Uh, which is, you know, over half the world's population. So you know, God delivers on his promises. Uh, but God also hears Abraham's doubts, doesn't he? You know, he, he, he gets it. He, he knows that Abraham's been waiting and waiting and waiting. And so what he gives him is a beautiful picture of reassurance, the picture of hope in the stars. It's probably also God's subtle way of saying, you know, hey, look, Abraham, I, I made these stars. I mean, I sure as anything have the power to still give you descendants. Abraham looks at the stars and maybe he follows that logic and he realises that, yep, okay, I still believe that God can do this. Uh, verse 6, Abraham believed God and God credited, credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham decides he will keep trusting. Oh, but still, that doesn't even mean doubt is done with, does it? Uh, it's kind of not how doubt works. We, we, we feel really confident sometimes, of course. Other times, maybe we feel uh, less sure about God's goodness. It comes and goes a little bit depending on what's going on. But God comes to Abraham again. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Again, great words from God. But again, Abraham's still, he's still struggling. He's still not sure. Abraham says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I'll gain possession of it? More promises, God, but how can I know? How can I be sure? How do I know that I can trust you? Now, I don't know about you. I, I, I can remember myself, my story uh, of when I came, first came to understand the Christian message, the gospel. Uh, I, I first came to understand it when I was at uni. I was probably 19 years old or something like that. Uh, I remember for those first couple of years, I remember I could just... I was just totally 100% confident in God's promises. I, I felt great. I was, uh, there was not a shadow of doubt in my mind. I was sort of a young, uh, happy-go-lucky kind of time in my life anyway. But uh, I can remember then, a few years later, uh, a few harder things that happened. I can remember then this question that Abraham asked starts to feel a little bit more real. How can I know? How can I really be sure that God is real, that I'm one of his people, that my future is secure? How can I know really? How can I know? Again, in our passage today, Abraham brings his doubts before God. He doesn't hold back. And again, his questions are welcome. I've certainly found as I've gone to God with my big questions, my fears, my doubts, as I've gone to God and I've asked those questions and I've wrestled with those questions, I really think there are always going to be times when perhaps we feel a little bit less confidence in God. But I've found as I go to God, reflect on his word, 
reflect on his promises, reflect on the truths of the Bible again and again and again. Uh, in time, I come away more and more certain that God can be trusted, that his promises are sure. Abraham comes to God a first time, looking for reassurance, a second time, looking for more confidence. How can I know? Well, the rest of our passage this morning is God's answer to that question. Point four, Abraham's had doubts. Point four, God's commitment. A couple of months ago, uh, I got a phone call just out of the blue. I picked up the phone and and the guy on the phone, uh, he must have have got my number from the church website, I think, uh, because he kind of, he he said hello and he said he wanted to have a conversation with a pastor. Uh, So I thought, okay, this could be interesting. Um, the guy quickly explained that he's stuck in Adelaide and he, he, I think his story was that he'd had a, a marriage breakdown or something like that, so he'd been locked out of his bank account uh, and so he wanted some money to try and get home and I was thinking, okay, yep, am I going to give this guy some money? And I, For context, I, I don't know about you, but I get scam phone calls like all the time, right? So, uh, Or especially scam text messages. I don't know if anyone's been getting all those uh, scam text messages that have been going around the last few weeks. Uh, but of course, when someone calls me out of the blue and asks me for money, of course, I'm naturally suspicious. Uh, and I, I figure I'm pretty good at spotting scams. And this guy's just, you know, probably grabbed my number off a website and decided to give, give me a try and, and give me a call. I've got no way at all of verifying anything of what this guy is saying. Uh, so we, we chat a little bit and he, he did actually seem a little bit different to, um, to scams I've had before. He, he sort of seemed to have a ring of truth about what he was saying. And he clearly also knows I'm a pastor, so I don't want to kind of be a jerk and make this guy think that Christians are jerks, and uh, I probably just shouldn't have picked up the phone. But uh, look, I ended up saying, I'm really sorry. Uh, if you are telling the truth, I'm really sorry, but I'm, I'm not just going to transfer a bunch of money into a random bank account. Um, actually, actually, what I did say, I was at our office, which is um, just, just next door behind here, and I said, look, if you want to come down here and meet me, I can give you some money, and I figured... Um, if he was going to go to that much effort, he probably was legitimate. But uh, he never did show up, so maybe he was a scammer. I'll, I'll probably never know. Uh, the, the point, though, uh, the question, are God's promises like this? You know, he puts some money in a random bank account, and maybe maybe he's legitimate, maybe he's not. Yeah, the problem with the guy who called me is I had no real way of knowing uh, whether he was authentic or not. And we do actually have ways in our world of making sure things are legitimate, don't we? You know, um, if you buy something online, you get a receipt, you get buyer protection, and you don't really have to worry about whether or not someone's scamming you. Uh, if you buy a house, you know, you sign all sorts of paperwork, it, it's legal, it's binding, uh, you have rights, protections. Uh, if you're signing a contract or, you know, you're hiring a tradie, you get a quote, uh, normally you agree on how much uh, something would cost and normally you get it in writing just so you can uh, make sure you don't get a surprise later on. Uh, well, in Genesis 15, God... He doesn't just say to Abraham, transfer me the money and see what happens. Abraham says, how do I know? How do I know that I can trust you? And God says, well, do you know what? I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to sign the paperwork. Only back in ancient Near Eastern times, you didn't sign contracts with pen and paper. Here we get to our interesting part of the passage. God says, go and get a cow, a goat, a sheep, a dove, and a pigeon. And notice, by the way, Abraham doesn't seem confused by what's going on. Uh, he, he knows what's going on. He, he goes in, he grabs the animals, he cuts them in half. He knows the deal. He knows what, he knows what this is. Uh, it's weird for us, but it wasn't quite so weird uh, for him. This is the way to make a legal agreement back in these times. A covenant, as the Bible describes it. 
what you would do is you would take animals, cut them in half. That's why you would literally say that you cut a covenant. And what you would do is you would split the animals into two lines, walk between the lines of carcasses. Sounds really pleasant, doesn't it? And effectively, what the ritual would, be, would mean, it's a way of saying, if I break my agreement, if I break my promise, may I become like these animals. May this be what happens to me if I break my word. I read a commentator this week who said, maybe we should bring this idea to the 21st century. Uh, people might be a little bit better at following through on what they say. Uh, now, there's lots of details we could talk about with the covenant ceremony. Uh, what the different animals might represent, what the birds might represent. Uh, but I just want us to notice two remarkable things, okay? Two remarkable things about uh, what's going on here. One, one is that it's amazing, I reckon, that God decides to come down to our level and be bound by a human sort of contract. I mean, that's pretty strange, pretty remarkable, isn't it? I mean, this is the God who made the whole universe. Why would, why would God have to come down and agree to this weird ancient Near Eastern human legal construct. I mean, that's just kind of staggering, isn't it? But what it does show, it just shows how gracious God is. It shows that God deeply cares about Abraham. He wants Abraham to know that he can be trusted, that his promises are sure, and so he's willing to come and even be subjected to this weird human institution. It's the first remarkable thing. The second remarkable thing Normally what would happen in these agreements uh, is that you'd, the, there'd be two of you making agreement. So you would cut your carcasses and then you, the two of you would walk through the animals together so that you would both know that you're committed. You're both saying, we're both agreeing and we're both saying that if we fail in our promises, this is what we wish we would become. But in our story today, who walks through the sets of animals? Well, God comes down via the fire and the smoke, which represents God. And God walks between the animals. But Abraham, Abraham doesn't. It's almost as if God is saying, we're both making this agreement, this covenant. If I fail to live up to my part of the bargain, then I'll pay for the consequences. Let me be like one of these animals. But because God's the only one who walks through, it's almost like he's saying, if you fail to live up to your part of the bargain, I'll pay the consequences too. If I fail to live up to this commitment, I'll pay the consequences, but I'll also pay the consequences if you fail to live up to your part of the agreement. Even if that happens, let me be like one of these animals cut into bloodshed. Amazing, isn't it? And yet, of course, if we know the Bible's story, lots of bells are already ringing for us, aren't they? When Jesus came to earth 2,000 years later, God made man means that God once again made himself subject to a human institution. Pilate and the governor and the human court. And when they sentenced Jesus to death, God does once and for all pay the price, not for his own failure to keep his promises. He pays the penalty on behalf of his people who failed to keep his covenant. One commentator, his name is Van der Land, says, uh, that Genesis 15, it's, it's almost like in many ways the moment where the death sentence is pronounced over Jesus' life. It's kind of true, isn't it? Abraham says, how can I know? Well, God says, this is how. I'll make a covenant. I'm committed to putting things right. And if you or your, you or your descendants failed to keep my covenant, and he knew that they would, he knew that they would fail, well, I'm going to pay the price myself. 
we can trust God's plan to put the world right because he's signed, he's committed. And in Jesus, he did what he said he would do. He bore the cost of our failings. Abraham's doubt, God's commitment, our final point, coming before the God of grace. Well, I wonder if you're wondering what, uh, why all this matters for us here in Adelaide in 2021, and particularly, you know, we've been talking about God's promises. What is a promise that God made 4,000 years ago to a random guy, Abraham, in the middle of the Middle East uh, have to do with us? Well, the first thing to understand is that in the context of the story of the Bible, uh, God's covenant, his covenant, his agreement that he's made, uh, his commitment to his people is eternal, everlasting. It's a commitment that is still standing firm today. So God is still committed to his people. He's still committed to Abraham's descendants. But amazingly, what the New Testament makes clear is that in Jesus, the true children of Abraham, as we sung this morning, are those of faith. God's promises, his covenant, his commitment, they are, they're promises that are for us. They're promises that are for the church. You know, as we sang, we here at Trinity Church Brighton in 2021 are still children of Abraham. Particularly, by the way, if you want to see in the New Testament kind of where this is, Paul, uh, the apostle, talks about it at a couple of points, particularly Romans 4 and 5, uh, and especially Galatians 3 and 4, actually probably even clearer. The inheritors of God's promise are not the racially Jewish people. Of course, lots of Jewish people are Christian and, and a part of the church, but the inheritors of God prom- God's promises today are the church, Christians. God promised Abraham a people, but we are God's people. God promised Abraham blessing in Jesus. We are blessed. He, pl- he paid the price for our failures. Uh, he also promised, of course, to Abraham land. Uh, uh, I don't think, by the way, that means that you know, the land that Abraham was promised belongs to Christians today, uh, that the land that's now called Israel and, and Palestine over in the Middle East, uh, I don't think that just automatically belongs to us right now. I don't think the Bible actually really says that that particular piece of land belongs to anyone in particular anymore, just to uh, throw something controversial in for you. Um, of course, Israel and Palestine have been tragically fighting over that land for years and years uh, over who has the rights to that piece of land that Abraham was promised. Uh, I know lots of Christians around the world uh, support Israel in that conflict and they're I think there probably are some good rational and sort of humane reasons uh, to support Israel, particularly over the uh, hard things that the the Jewish people have had to endure over the past uh, centuries. Uh, There are also good reasons to support the rights of the Palestinians who live there as well. Uh, But I don't think you can use the Bible to say that the land still belongs to them because of God's promise or anything like that, Uh, not when you have the New Testament in play. Uh, One of the reasons, by the way, that a lot of Christians do support uh, modern-day Israel being in the land is to do with also prophecies in Revelation. Uh, kind of the theory is that because of some of the prophecies in Revelation which say that uh, seem to say that the, the Israelites will be in the land when Jesus returns, there's kind of this idea that if, if Israel is in the land, it's more likely that Jesus is going to come back, which is, you know, I, I can understand that, but uh, um, I also know that, you know, God knows when Jesus is going to return, so I don't think we can, you know, need to take it into our hands. But uh, look, the controversial stuff aside, God has, prom- has promised Christians a land, hasn't he? He has promised Christians a land. He's promised Christians the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. I think the Bible is quite clear that we don't have that land yet. The Bible talks about us more like we're in exile. You know, we're a bit bit more like those Israelites when they later went to Egypt and then waited and waited for 400 years until the time when they could go into the promised land. That's uh, much more similar to 
our current circumstances today. But we do have a land that God promised us. And his promises are sure. He is a God who is committed. The new heavens and the new earth are waiting for us. Uh, So with all of this, what should we do then? What should we do? Well, we should come before God. Come before our God with our doubts. Uh, We should come before our our God with our sins. Uh, We should come before his grace. Come before him even when we uh, maybe don't feel like it. We've we've seen today that uh, Abraham had doubts, questions, fears. Uh, He brought his doubts, he brought his fears to God. I feel like I say this a lot, but at Trinity, we want you to come before God as you are. We want you to come with your questions, with your doubts. If you come to church and you aren't in the mood to uh, stand up and sing songs of praise, that's okay. You don't always have to, you don't have to fake anything with God. Uh, But we come before him, we wrestle, we ask our questions, we hear from his word. We come with our doubts, we come with our fears. I also come with our sin. We worship a God who takes uh, the punishment for our failings onto himself. Sometimes one of the reasons we might not want to come to church is uh, because we're not proud of how we've lived this week. There might be sin in our lives at the moment. We should come before him because he's the one who paid the price for us. One thing that's so clear through all of Genesis 15 is, is uh, God's initiative. God's grace, it's all God. It's all, it's all God's initiative. He's the one who brings Abraham children. He's the one who walks through the dead animals. He's the one who credits Abraham as righteous. It's not like Abraham is saved because he's earned it. Now, because Abraham is going to be one of God's people, that doesn't mean Abraham doesn't have to do anything. God still demands things of Abraham. In fact, Abraham has to give his whole life to God. Uh, in Genesis chapter 17, which we won't get time to look at uh, in this series, but uh, chapter 17, it kind of goes along with chapter 15. Uh, in chapter 17, God uh, makes, uh, asks Abraham and his followers and his descendants to all be circumcised. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 17. Uh, and circumcision, it's a sign that they all belong to God. And of course, if we're part of God's people today, we still belong to him. So there are still uh, things that we have to do and things that uh, mark us out as God's people. God wants us to own our faith, live for him, live lives of godliness and mercy and compassion. These are things that are meant to mark God's people. We've seen that very clearly in the book of James over the last few weeks. But however we've lived, we can come before him because we are saved based on his grace, based on his good gifts, his good commitments, his good promises. He's paid the penalty for us. So we come before him, we come before him with our doubts, with our sin, I also think uh, we should come before him even when we don't feel like it. Uh, We spoke about uh, those times at the start where life might be hard, where there might be a big thing going on that's really taking away all your energy and it's the only thing you can think about. Uh, Things are going on, life's falling apart. It might be family letting you down, it might be career letting you down, it might be uh, health letting you down, whatever it is. We might not feel much like praising God at those times, but I actually think those times are the most important times to be at church. Because family, health, career, friends, success, uh, all these things, they, they may well let us down eventually. But the one thing that we know will not fail us is God and his promises. When we trust in God, we are trusting in someone, something, someone who will not let us down. When we come before God, we are trusting in someone who will not let us down. He's made his commitment. He's signed the paperwork. His promises are sure. He has paid the price for us. 
His word is true. There is a land waiting for us. God's promises are sure. We can, we can take God's promises to the bank, to put it that way. When we trust in God, we're trusting in someone who will not let us down. How about we pray together? Uh, Father God, we thank you for your words to us again this morning. We thank you for those promises you made to Abraham. We thank you that you are committed to putting your world right. Father, I know that at various times, people, uh, various ones of us feel different things. Uh, life lets us down. Sometimes it's hard to wait for things like uh, when we wait for you to fulfill your promises, wait for our new land. But Father, we thank you that as we've seen this morning, your promises are sure. Help us to know this truth and help us to, um, help us to feel it in our hearts as well. We thank you that in Jesus, you took the penalty for our failings. And we pray in his name this morning. Amen.